0: Let's begin reading in verse number one of the book of Proverbs. The Bible says, "...the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning." And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, and they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Let's read once again verse number 10. Our text is found there. The word of God says, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do thank you for this wonderful group of people that's gathered together in your house, Lord, to hear your word, to sing your songs. I pray, Father, I, I know, I, I trust that they are your people. And Lord, as your people, I pray that you'd feed them tonight. Lord, I confess my inability and my insufficiency for the task at hand, but plead only the cross of Calvary and ask only for the help of the Holy Ghost in the preaching. Lord, that you would accomplish in each heart that which would bring the most glory to your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We thank you for everything you have done, will do. Lord, but most of all, we thank you for who you are. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let me read again to you verse 10. It's a short verse. The Word of God says, My Son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Boy, what a synopsis of truth that our young people and our older people need in this day of wickedness that we live in. As I began to study and read the book of Proverbs, and I I didn't have to, but I, I read the first six verses, or the first nine, and we're not really going to use them tonight, but I was talking to my wife about the book of Proverbs. We're talking about the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. Do you know that the entire Word of God is wisdom? You know that, don't you? Every bit of it's inspired from Genesis to Revelation. It's preserved. It's exactly what it ought to be. Man ought not lay a finger upon it. It doesn't need to be changed. It needs to be read and obeyed and believed is what it needs. But something I find about the book of Proverbs, though all the Word of God is wisdom, with the book of Proverbs presents to us wisdom in concentrate. Now, you say, Preacher, what do you mean by that? Now, I'm not implying that the book of Proverbs is any more wise than the rest of the Bible. Uh, but just as uh, if you were to make, uh, I don't know what you'd make. Let's say you was making Tang. That, that's, that's a good drink, right? And uh, it, it'd be one thing. The Word of God sort of would present to us uh, truth in a whole gallon of it. And it's all pure and it's all right and exactly what it needs to be. But it sure tastes different than if you took that entire amount that you put in the gallon and put it in the coffee cup and drank it that way. Uh, you see, the book of Proverbs presents to us scenario after scenario in rapid succession. There's no narrative for the most part in the book of Proverbs. Uh, there's no waxing poetic, as it were. I understand it's a poetic book. But uh, what you find primarily in the book of Proverbs is just Solomon, who was one of the wisest men to ever live, just making statement after statement, that if it will be read and applied, can radically change our lives from day to day. We find four chief purposes for the book of Proverbs. It's in my message, but I liked it, and I guess you'll like it too. Notice verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding. The first thing the book of Proverbs is for is so that you can get wisdom, so that you can acquaint yourself with wisdom. Now, all the Word of God will do that. But if you was going to start somewhere in the Word of God, and if your goal was to get wisdom from it, I'd recommend to you the book of Proverbs, as you sit at the feet of the wisest man, aside from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the wisest human being, the wisest man that was not divine uh, ever to live, Solomon, you could sit at his feet and gain some wisdom. I'll tell you this right now, till we get ourselves under the preaching of the Word of God, till we get ourselves immersed in the Word of God, We're not going to get the help that we need. You've got to get there. You've got to sit yourself underneath it. You've got to listen to it before it's ever going to help you. Notice the second thing, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity. Not only to get it, but to grasp it. We've got, uh, excuse me, look at verse number 2. I, I skipped ahead. I'm preaching more and faster than I intended to. Look at the second thing there in verse number 2. To perceive the words of understanding, we've got to grasp wisdom. It's not enough just to get it, you've got to grasp it. You ever talk to someone, you could tell while you talk to them that their body was there. Uh, they might have been there in spirit, but their mind was totally somewhere else. Happens a lot with young people, doesn't it? Amen. You ever talk to someone and they had a blank look in their face and they were sitting there and seated under it? And I can say as a pastor, I don't say it to be ugly, but there's some times when I'm preaching, and I can tell that some of y'all out there have checked out. Amen? I can tell it. I can see it on your face. You've turned the you've turned the hearing aid off. You, you've got something else. If we could look into your mind, we'd see that dancing cartoon cow playing the ukulele. You've checked out. We've got to grasp it. We've got to understand the preaching of the Word of God. Nothing will help you more than to read the Word of God and try to understand what God's saying in His Word. Now, I'm not against commentaries. I'm not against books. God bless you. I've got more of them than I know what to do with. But the greatest thing we can ever understand is the Word of God in the context of the Word of God. We've got to grasp it. Notice the third thing. I tried to preach this to you a second ago. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity. We've got not only to get it and to grasp it, But we've got to learn how to gain from it. You see, you can hear the preached Word of God. You can understand the preached Word of God. But if you don't apply the preached Word of God, it's not going to help you a bit. That's why we have so many folks that have grown up in church. I grew up in church. I'm not speaking ill of it. Uh, one of the greatest blessings in my life is that I did grow up in church. So I'm not speaking ill. But we've got a lot of folks that have grown up under the preaching of the Word of God. They have a lot of head knowledge. If you ask them, you could, you could play a Bible quiz game with them. Man, they'd get every single answer right. You'd ask them trivia about it. They know the truth of it. Uh, they, they've gotten it and they've grasped it, but they've never gained from it because they've never learned how to apply it to their lives, or rather to submit to the Holy Ghost as He applies it to their lives. We've got to receive the Word of God. It don't do you a bit of good. You can sit in every church service from now till the rapture comes in every county, every state, every city, and every country in the world. But if you don't ever uh, view it as the examination room in which you are seated before the ever-searching eye of the Word of God, if you if you're always looking as it applies to someone else and not to your life, it's not going to help you. I fear that a lot of times we sit and we go, oh, boy, preacher, that was good. That was good, preacher. That was good for them, just not for me. Understand that God's aware of who'd be here. God's aware of what we need. Believe it or not, despite all my flaws, failures, and ignorance, occasionally God will give me the words to say. Same thing's true of other preachers. I don't say that puffed me up because, like I said, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I have no power. I have no ability. I have no wisdom the Word of God is the ultimate in power and in ability and in wisdom. And we ought to learn to receive the Word of God as it's given to us, not just in the preaching, but in our devotional time when we sit down and open the bread of life. You know, lots of folks, uh, you know, how silly would it be if you was hungry and you went and made yourself a sandwich, constructed it together, put it on a pretty plate, sat it there and said, boy, that looks good, but never ate it. Well, that's not going to help you. That's not to imply you made a bad sandwich, <laughs> amen? It's not to imply that, that sandwich don't taste good. And it's not to imply that, that sandwich wouldn't fill you up. But when you don't partake of it, when you don't allow it to enter into your life, it's not going to do you any good. And then notice the fourth thing, and then I'm going to preach. You don't know what I've been doing thus far. I wasn't preaching, but I'll preach in a second. Look in verse number 4, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. Now, I understand this is talking about... The purpose of the book of Proverbs. But I believe it could be said about us too. Not only to get wisdom and to grasp wisdom and to gain from wisdom, but we ought to learn how to give wisdom to other folks. We ought to learn how to be a blessing to other people. One of the, uh, w- one of the terms all the time that you hear concerning, uh, society. And if you ever listen to talk radio at all, uh, you know, I'm back to the place in my life. It's not that I disagree with what they're saying, but them saying it ain't getting it done. We'd probably, uh, be better off spending that time in prayer sometimes, wouldn't it? But uh, if you listen to them, one of the the terminology that they'll use all the time is the term consumer, a consumer. You're a producer, you're a consumer. And they'll talk about factions of society that that they would deem as being parasitic. And people that never produce anything, all they do is consume. They just get on the dole and live and consume and consume and consume. And I, I could care less about your political affiliation or even making a political statement tonight, but can I say that as Christians, a lot of times we're guilty of being consumers and not producers. We're guilty of coming in scooting our feet under God's table and saying, all right, Lord, feed me, feed me, feed me. Lord, I'm hurting, give me encouragement. Lord, I'm suffering, give me comfort. But never do we look around us and say, hey, what can I do to help encourage someone else to be a blessing to them and encourage them to continue steadfast for the Lord? Uh, If you get wisdom, you'll also get the ability to impart wisdom to other people to be a blessing to them, to help them, to encourage them. You'd be amazed the influence you could have in the lives of folks all around you. I don't care who you are, you're surrounded with suffering people. You're surrounded with people that are looking for an answer. And, oh, friend, we've got the answer if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. So we ought to be able to give. We find the synopsis of the book of Proverbs. But it's interesting that in the admonitions and exhortations that are given in this first chapter... It's interesting to me that God would choose to take up so quickly the topic of sin in the life of young people. Now, again, let me say this applies to everybody, not just young people, but older people alike. But almost immediately, God begins to talk about sin. And let me put it this way, because I do believe that there is a a chronological or a biological implication when he says, my son. I do believe that these apply in a very special way to young people. But can I say that if you've been saved, you too are a child of God. doesn't matter what your age is. And this truth applies to all of us. And as God would speak to His children, those that through Jesus Christ know Him, it's interesting that so soon He would begin to talk about the temptation of sin and its impact on us. I find, just as a short introduction in verse 10, three truths. One of the truths that I find is that temptation is going to happen. I don't care who you are, you will be tempted at some point. And uh, if you're like me, it's not just at some point in the year or the month or the week, but it seems like it's every day. There's going to be a temptation come your way. Temptation exists. We might as well not ignore that truth, ignore that fact. Notice, secondly, temptation comes to the believer. My son, if sinners entice thee. I don't know where we got this idea that's crept into a lot of folks that once they get born again, that they are somehow above temptation. I think that is a real quick, short way to find yourself uh, ensnared in temptation is to believe that you're above it. I don't care who you are. You may be born again. God bless you. That's wonderful. I'm thankful that God saves us, and He saves us completely into the uttermost, and I'm thankful God saves us eternally. But that doesn't change the fact that in this walk of life, as long as we battle with the flesh, we're going to be tempted even as believers. But then I find a third thing. I find that temptation not only happens, and temptation happens to the believer, but I find that temptation... Now, get this now. We're going to get your waders on. We're going to go into deep water. You ready? Temptation is tempting. Oh, I blew your mind. I, I, I felt that wind come through when that happened. Temptation is tempting. Oh, no, maybe not somebody else's Temptation. But you see, therein lies the very problem. Is I don't care who you are, there are certain things that tempt you and certain things that don't tempt you. We always have a tendency to vilify the sins that don't tempt us. Aren't we hypocrites like that? Certain temptations that just don't appeal to us. Certain sins that we are not prone to, or whatever you'd like to say, however you'd like to describe it. And those are the bad sins. But you know, the sins that we're prone to, they're not sins. They're just mistakes, accidents. Things of that sort. Uh, Let me tell you something. The devil himself knows how to appear as an angel of light. So we better get in our head that the devil knows exactly what he needs to do to tempt us. He knows exactly what's tempting to you. He knows exactly what will appeal to you. Temptation is a reality. We find in our passage before us that temptation often comes through the channel of those that we associate with. And this is where I believe it applies so much uh, to our young people. A lot of times, let me tell you something, God will sometimes put folks in your life that you can help, but understand that Satan will put folks in your life to hinder you too. There's certain people that Satan will put with the express purpose of hindering you from serving the Lord. I'm thankful that Jesus Christ was a friend of sinners. Aren't you? I mean, listen, I wasn't a friend to him when he found me, but he was a friend to me. He loved me. I didn't come to where he was. He came to where I was. He reached for me before I ever reached for him. And I'm thankful for that this evening. But understand that the manner in which Christ befriended sinners was for the express purpose that He might win them to Himself, that He might have a godly influence on them. I, 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 just, tend, ooh, <laughs> I just tend to believe that Jesus Christ wouldn't be going down to the bars to try to win the, the drunks. Amen? You say, you're telling me, preacher, that Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with the drunks? Oh, I'm thankful He did. I can testify about a lot of folks that I've known that lived the life of a drunkard, but Jesus Christ found them and saved them. But I don't believe He'd enter into their sin to try to win them. He's already become sin for him once. He'll not enter into their sin to try to change them and save them. There is a way, just as there is a way to love the sinner and hate the sin, there is a way to befriend those that can be helped and a way to uh, to try to avoid those whose express purpose is to drag you down in your Christian walk. I'm not preaching isolationism this evening. We need to be a friend of sinners. But we need to understand that there is a great temptation around not just our young people, but everyone tonight. The world wants to pull you in. And the world wants to pull you away from Jesus Christ. I want you to notice three things this evening very quickly. Notice first off their call, the sinner's call. The Bible says in our passage that if sinners entice thee, that denotes that they're going to pursue you, find you, and try to pull you in their direction. And we find that there are three things... Three calls that are given from the sinner to the believer in this passage to try to draw them into their sin. Notice first off, look at verse 11. The Bible says, if they say, come with us. We find that the first thing that the sinner will seek is to try to demand your presence in the midst of his sin. That's the pressure that they put on you. Now stop and think about it in the world that we live in. What are we told? We're told it's fine for us to be a Christian as long as we're willing to live in the midst of the sin of society. Now, the Lord said, the Lord prayed, not that we would be uh, taken from the world, but that we would be kept from. Not that we would be taken out and not be able to be a light to them, but that we would be kept in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm aware that there's nothing we can do. The best thing we can do is uh, witness to folks, try to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not implying that we go and live in a hut somewhere. But listen, isn't it the mantra of society that we must by our presence be vexed by the wickedness and ungodliness of this world? Isn't it interesting that if a Christian puts something on a billboard, uh, then, you know, uh, well, my goodness, just, just, you know, call Congress, call the fire department. We're a bunch of hate mongers. We're a bunch of, we're a bunch of vicious bigots if we put something on a uh, billboard that stands for the truth of the Word of God. And yet the sodomites can put something on the billboard that promotes sodomy. And the atheists can put something on the billboard that promotes atheism. Uh, you know, it's all right for us to have our opinion that life begins at conception. That's okay for us to have that opinion as long as we're quiet about it, right? Isn't that the mantra of the world? What are they doing? They're trying to demand our presence in the midst of their ungodliness, our silent presence in the midst of their ungodliness. Yeah, I, let, let me say, I, I don't believe we ought to be ugly as Christians. As some of us can't help it. Amen. No, I, I mean in our attitude. We ought not be ugly in the way that we treat people. And we ought not seek to be obnoxious about our beliefs. But let me say that it's high time Christians begin to get vocal about what they believe. I'm not saying that you have to be a bully. I'm not saying that you have to be mean-spirited. But I am saying that we need to understand that our presence denotes our approval sometimes. And you're going to find, young people, in your life, that it begins with them saying, well, just come with us. Just come with us. You don't have to do anything. Just come with. You don't have to drink. Just come with us while we do. You don't have to do drugs or anything. Just just, just come with us while we do. Yeah, listen. You you don't you don't have to you don't have to allow anyone to paw all over you. But just come with us while it's going on. They ask first off for your presence, but then where does it lead? Look at verse number fourteen. They say, "Cast in thy lot among us." See, it starts with them asking for your presence. And it's not long for, they're asking for your participation. I not that what they said? Cast in thy lot. That's gambling language. You know that. That's gambling language. And what they're saying is, listen, we're having a good time. Why don't you just go ahead, have a good time with us? It always follows this pattern. I speak both from the truth of the Word of God and from personal experience that they won't be satisfied with you just being there very long. Pretty soon they'll be putting the beer to your lips. Pretty soon, they'll be putting the drugs to your lips or to your arm. Pretty soon, there'll be some boy or some girl wanting to paw all over you. See, it's not long before they want your participation. It starts with your presence. Then, why don't you get involved? Notice the third thing. Look again in verse 14. They said, let us all have one purse. Boy, you can take things out of context if you want to in the Word of God. If I was like a lot of cult leaders, I could have all of us hauling purses around. Isn't that silly? What are they saying? Well, first they ask for your presence. Just be there. Then they ask for your participation. Now they ask for your purse. They want you to invest something in their iniquity. You see, it starts off, just come to the party. You don't have to be involved. Then it's, well, go ahead and take a drink. It's not going to hurt you. Oh, boy, I can show you a lot of lives that it's hurt. Show you a lot of homes that it's wrecked. Show you a lot of, a lot of little children, a lot of spouses with bruises on them. It ain't going to hurt anything. They don't put that on the beer commercials, do they? I hope we're okay. God help us if, if even the Wednesday night crowd ain't, ain't in for this kind of preaching. They don't ever show that on the beer commercials. Why? They want your purse. They want your money. They want you to invest. It's not just enough to take the drink that they gave you, now they want you buying it. You see, they want you involved and invested in their sin. Notice first off their pressure. Notice secondly, look at verse number 11, we see their purpose. They said, "Come with us," but to do what? Verse number 11, look at the second phrase. They said, "Come with us, let us lay in wait, let us lay wait for blood." First off, they seek to conspire. Now what it says, "Let us lay wait for blood." You know what they're saying? They're saying, "Let's just act casual." But all the while we've got a plan. Maybe I'm just preaching at teenage me tonight. But can I say that I remember a time when I had friends like that? Always scheming. Always sneaking. Well, I never thought I'd say it, because I used to be you all. I used to think, I'm not going to be that way. I'm thankful I am that way. But can I say that usually if, if it's got to be kept secret, you ought not be doing it. I would never thought that. I wish I'd dragged 15 year old Toby to sit there. He'd look stunned. His mouth would drop. But I found it to be true. You remember that friend you had, always scheming, always coming up with a plan, always coming up with something. They seek to conspire. But notice, secondly, look at the next phrase let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. They seek to conceal. They seek to conceal. Did you ever have that friend that was always sneaking stuff home with you so their parents wouldn't find it? To conceal. Putting a different mask on. God help us tonight. when we, Whether we're young people or adults, when we've learned to wear different masks in different crowds. Learn to play the games. I grew up in Christian school. Christian school kids are right next to the devil in terms of wickedness. Just being honest. I was a Christian school kid, man. Their hard as coffin nails. It's not that they're any better. It's they're better at hiding it. That was me. I was better at hiding it. I was better at sneaking because I had to be. You better be careful about those friends that are always whispering under their breath. You better be careful about those. And this isn't just young people. This is adults too, because I'm sure you work with them. I'm sure you deal with them. I'm sure you know them. You better be careful about the ones always trying to hide something. If they try to hide it, there's a good chance that there's a reason they're trying to hide it. Oh, we all come up with justifications, don't we? We all have reasons. And yet, what is the picture before us? Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. The innocent without cause. You ever stop and think for a minute, maybe they're lurking privily for you, young person? Let me say that again. I'm not sure if we really got a hold of it. They're lurking privily for the innocent without cause. You ever think maybe it's you they're lurking for? I know they tell you that they're your friend, and I know they tell you that they've got everything under control. I know that they tell you that you're the in crowd. But we'll find out before we're done preaching tonight that their way leadeth to destruction. And it's took many a good church kid with them. It's took many a good church kid with them. took many a kid that had a Bible on their nightstand Took many a kid that was a straight-A student. Took many a kid that had made promises to God. You ever stop and think maybe you're the one they're lurking for? Not only to conceal, but notice verse 12. What does it say? Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. Their purpose is not only to conspire and conceal, but to consume, to consume let me just say that i think a lot of the i'm going to get in trouble for saying this but i'm i'm so deep in trouble most of the time anyway i don't even, i feel funny if i'm not in trouble i think a lot of the bullying stuff that you see is nonsense kids kids are they they kids need to understand how the world works and i'm not advocating it but i think a lot of the bullying stuff is nonsense but by the same token there there, there is a spirit that goes along with that I'll confess to you, I was guilty of it at times growing up. I was guilty of it at times growing up. I could, I could pull young people in before you now that are around my age that I, that I would need to apologize for because of the way that I behave. But let me say that that crowd is the crowd you want to stay away from. That crowd that's looking to consume others, has no care, no concern, no compassion whatsoever for the needs for the spiritual condition of those around them. And we all meet them. You know how we meet them? They're the cool kids. You say, oh, good, preacher, you're talking to the kids. I can just <laughs> I can check out, you know. No, no, because here's the reality. They're the successful person that you work with. I'm not saying all folks that are successful are that way. But if you've worked in a secular environment, and sometimes in a Christian environment, you know that they can be those folks that are just using people as stepping stones those folks that are just using people as a ladder to climb to a higher ambition. You better be careful about those folks, because when they fall down that ladder, they'll take you with them. You know where all that comes from? It comes from being too invested in this world anyway. What, you're going to work so hard for that big bank account? You're going to leave it one day if you know the Lord. Oh, you're going to a place where the street is made out of gold, so I wouldn't lament, but it ought to be a little perspective for us. Get the bigger house, get the nicer car. God bless you. I'm all for it. I'm not against you in that. But understand, when you put your family at risk to do it, when you put your children or your grandchildren, when you, when you put your marriage at risk to do it, understand that you're, you're playing marbles with diamonds. You're toying with eternal things for the sake of that which is temporal. And you better be careful. That's a good way to get burned. We see their purpose. Notice 13, what's their promise? We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Notice the use of the word find there. We shall find. It doesn't say we shall work for all precious substance. It says we shall find all precious substance. Their promise is this. This is the easy path to great success, to great admiration, and to great wealth. Now, there's a different, different paradigm that goes on with young people. Because, see, for these young people, the difference is this is the pathway to happiness, to prosperity, and to popularity. That's what they say. You cast your lot in with that crowd, and then you'll be part of the in-group. That's what they say. Let me tell you something. You know what I found out? Most of the in-group wound up being the out-group ten years later when they wound up on drugs, when they were wound up having their, their fourth child and not knowing who the father is. Come on now, don't buck up. When, they, when their life was a wreck, they found out that that in-group wasn't so great. Man, I'm glad I had parents that wouldn't let me be part of that group. Of course, I went to a school. I don't know. We had like four of us in the whole school, so... That dynamic really didn't work, but you see for you all, the difference is you've got to play these games. you've got to play these games to move up in the world. you've got to join that lodge to move up in the world. you've got to go to that party to move up in the world. Listen now, you've got to partake in their iniquity if you're going to move up in the world. you've got to lose some of them morals to move up in the world. You, you've got to use the same language they do. You've got to partake in the same things that they do. And if you'll just do these things, you won't have to work for it. You'll just find all precious substance. We find that the devil only has plastic pearls and plug nickels. The devil can never deliver on a single promise that he ever makes you. Notice not only their promise and their, uh, their purpose and their presence or their pressure, but look at the next thing, verse 16. The Bible says, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. This is the beginning where he talks about their conclusion. He's spoken about their call and the pressure they put on young people and older people alike. But now the wisdom of Solomon is going to open the window to see what the end of those people are. And notice the first thing that he denotes about them is that they're destructive. They're destructive. Can I put it as simply as I know how? They're fine as long as you're not in their way. But, buddy, they'll throw you to the dogs when you get in their way. I got some adults shaking their head because they were a part of that group at one time. They know. They know. They're like those friends in a far country. And as long as the money don't run out, you're their friend. But let the money run out, you'll be in the pig slot. Their feet run, run to evil is what it says, and make haste to shed blood. That crowd that's pulling you so hard away from your church, pulling you so hard away from your family, pulling you so hard away from your Bible and from your Savior, it won't be long before they throw you under the bus because that is their nature. That's their nature. So that's a high horse preacher. It was my nature before I got saved too. I'm thankful God can save and change old sinners. But understand that except for the grace of God in their life, they're going to do the same thing that sinners have always done. They run to evil. Isn't that a picture we see? Turn on the news. Doesn't it feel sometimes like when man's given the choice between right and wrong, he always chooses wrong? That's because he does always choose wrong. Because he's lost. He's unregenerate. He has no capacity to do that which is right. We find at their very core that they're destructive. Notice, secondly... We see they are deceived, verse 17. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. Let's stop and use a little common sense here. The Bible is a common book in a way, and common sense will straighten out a lot of the theological quandaries that people propose. What's it saying there? It's saying if you're going to catch a bird in a net, don't let the bird see the net. That's, that's hillbilly right there. If you're going to catch a bird in a net, don't let the bird see the net. What is the truth he's teaching? Look at verse number 18. And they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. In other words, the hunted is going to become the hunt, or the hunter is going to become the hunted. In other words, they think that they're going to catch everybody else. But at the end, they themselves are the ones that get caught. Oh, man, I, I wish sometimes that, I wish for young people we could just sometimes take them through a gallery of the heartaches of life so they could see what sin does. I wish sometimes they could see. Young people, the only folks that you see sometimes being around here is the ones that made it out. The ones that made it out. I don't know if you remember. And I, Man, I'm just trying to follow the Holy Ghost. But do you remember in Genesis 14... Me and Brother Nick were talking about this the other day. You remember the battle at the Vale of Sidom? And you remember that kings of Sodom and other kings had gathered there to battle. It was a place of slime pits. This world is a place of slime pits, young people. They'll suck you in. The Bible says there was one that had escaped. One that had escaped. That's one that had escaped right there. One that had escaped. One that had escaped right there. That's all you ever see. You see the ones that can stand up, lift their hands to heaven and say, thank God I'm not what I used to be. But ask them to show you the yearbook sometime. Tell you about the ones that didn't make it. Tell you about the ones that didn't escape. Tell you about the ones that wound up in, in, that, that wound up in uh, old folks home with their, their brains so fried through that they can't think when they ought to be enjoying a family and grandkids. The ones that wound up in a grave at an early age. I'm saying this is a real danger. You only see the ones that escaped. You don't get to see the ones that didn't. They're deceived, young people and old people. You can choose which group you're in because I'm talking about both of them. They're deceived. They think they're going to get rich quick. They think they're going to be popular quick. They think they're going to get ahead of the thing. They think they're going to live their life, enjoy themselves, and get out before it wrecks them. But you see, the net is spread in vain in the sight of any bird. They can't see. They can't see. Notice not only they're destructive and deceived. Look at verse 19. The Bible says, "...so are the ways of everyone." that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. If you underscore, underscore the phrase, everyone. Not only are they destructive and deceived, but you mark her down, they're dependable. They'll all be that way. They'll all. I know you think you're going to help them. And listen, if God puts someone in your path, you can help them. But I, I, I'm too mad at the devil for wrecking young people. And, and I, I'm, I'm too fed up with sin to, to, to wear kid gloves on this issue. I understand that there's some that need help. But understand that's your own life you're gambling with. It's your own kids or grandkids. It's your, own, it's your own nieces and nephews. That's who we're gambling with tonight. And understand that there may be a few that escape, but of the ones that are lost, every one of them is this way. They put on a smile. I get it. They swear to be on your side. But every one of them is this way. We need to guard. Oh, man, we need to guard. We need to guard our young people, and our young people need to guard their own lives. How do we do that? We see our commandment. I'll just give you these in quick succession and be done. Look at verse 10. What do we do? My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not... First off, folks like that, we're not to favor them. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we're not to try to reach them, but we're not to favor them. What does it say? Consent. You know what that word consent literally means? It comes from the same word uh, that means breath, and it means silence. Silence. Like I said, I don't believe God intends for us to be obnoxious, but I do believe God intends for us to be vocal. A young person, it's okay to not be okay with sin. It's okay. It's okay to not be okay with sin. That's all right. It's okay to have a problem with sin. I'm not saying you have to be a goody two-shoes, although I'd rather be the goody two-shoes than the one that winds up wrecked. But I'm not saying you've got to be a goody two-shoes. I'm not saying you be obstinate or arrogant. I'm not saying you look down your nose. But I'm saying you don't have to have your presence in amongst those sinners and to keep your silence. It's okay to take a stand. It's all right to say, hey, I'm not raised that way. The Bible doesn't teach that. I'm not okay with that. It either stops or I leave. That's okay. You could probably point to a lot of drug addicts and drunks wish they had said just that very thing at one point in their life. Because it all begins. It all begins with one hit, with one needle, with one drink. It all begins with that one moment. And I promise you, if they could roll back the footage and stop at that moment, Take a simple stand in a small way and say, hey, I'm Christian. I don't have anything to do with that. I promise you they would. We see we're not to keep our silence. We're not to favor them. Look at verse 15. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Not only are we not to favor them, but we're not to fellowship with them. Now Again, I'm not saying we don't try to reach them. But the picture here is someone that has gotten to be a a buddy, a bosom buddy, a friend, a confederate, and has began to walk with them. Solomon says it's in your best interest to not walk with them. I believe, young person, if I had any questions about somebody, I'd just try to be kind, I'd try to be compassionate, but I'd also try to keep my distance. You've got one life, one, one You've only got to mess up one life and you've messed it all up. Understand, you don't just mess up one life. You mess up your kids' lives and uh, you break your parents' hearts and your grandparents and uh, break your preacher's heart and things like that. I'm aware of that, but I'm saying one life, one life, I believe I guard it carefully. There's no amount of popularity. There's no amount of prestige. There's no amount of adoration that is worth wrecking your life. I believe I just walk a different path, don't you? So, some of these older folks that, that, that were some that had escaped, they wish they had walked a different path. Oh, I know, it's very glamorous. And I and I and don't misunderstand me. I don't think people try to glamorize it. But sometimes it's very glamorous to speak of what we were and how God saved us. And I think we ought to talk about it. But we need to understand that sometimes that looks different to young eyes. They don't see the way your body aches when you try to climb in bed at night. <laughs> they don't They don't see the things that you can't get out of your head. Sometimes I wish they could. Because they'd understand that that friend was not worth it. They'd understand that that relationship was not worth it. They'd understand that if they could go back and do it again, they'd have no fellowship with them. And then finally, and I'm done, look at verse 15 again. Refrain thy foot from their path. Solomon says, don't walk with them. But not just don't walk with them. Don't walk their way even without them. We're not to follow them. Don't walk their way even without them. You know what I find? Oh, man, I wasn't even going to preach on this. You know what I find? I find a lot of the contemporary movement is walking their way but without them. You know, listen, we'll change a few words. We'll... We'll change a few things, and we'll walk that same path. We just won't walk it with them. The Bible says to refrain your foot from their path. Don't even cross that path. Don't get anywhere near that path. Don't walk parallel to it. Get as far away from it as you can, because we've got this one life. What are we going to do with it? A lot of people, and some of them even in this room, wish they had made some of those decisions when they was your age. Before, they made a lot of the mistakes. So I say to you tonight, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not.